Welcome, everybody, to the Deadhead Cannabis Show. Jim Marty here from sunny Southern California, Los Angeles, where we have a beautiful blue sky and 70-degree weather. Even went to the beach today and up in Malibu and walked around with our feet in the ocean, which is beautiful. And I've got my partner in Chicago, Larry Mishkin. Hey, Larry. Nice to talk to you. Once again, glad somebody is uh, warm out there. It's cold and chilly here in Chicago, and... Uh, not that anybody notices because, um, you know, we're all cranking uh, away on applications here and getting everything moving forward. But it's always good to hear that there's somebody out there taking advantage of not just the nice weather, but these uh, tremendous dead shows that you're getting an opportunity to see. And I can't speak for anybody else out there, but I know that I want to hear all about your thoughts on uh, the show you saw last night. Yeah, it was fabulous. Just a fabulous dead show. It's always great to see the Grateful Dead in California. It's their home turf, and they really bring it on home. Oh, big... Uh, Truck and opener, uh, great ramble on Rose, and John Mayer sang us 100 verses in ragtime. One of my favorites. So great, great shows. And, and what was really special about it is the Forum has been, they put millions and millions of dollars into redoing the Los Angeles Forum over the last few years. And now it is just music. There's no sports there. And it's set up just beautifully with uh, brand new seats and an incredible sound. Uh, and it wasn't just me, all the people around us were commenting on how terrific the sound was. Uh, they've got a big acoustic ceiling on the top of the building that kind of just pushes all that sound down. And, you know, my opinion was it was, you know, as good as a Los Angeles soundstage can sound. It was just incredible. And especially John Mayer's guitar, just every note, crystal clear, every note he sang. So, yeah, second set... Uh, Big playing in the band into Terrapin Station, a Terrapin Station for the ages. Oh, wow. I'd encourage everyone out there to take a listen to that second set Terrapin Station, just fabulous. And on the Terrapin Gym, they, they're still alternating the lyrics, right? John sings some, Bobby steps in and sings some. Yeah. Yeah, Bob comes back in for the inspiration, Move Me Brightly part. Sure. And, and who was the, uh, who sang lead on China Doll? Motil. Um, oh, right. I forgot he does that. that that is the versatility of having O'Teal on the, in that band. He comes up with some of those. He does that. I know he does Comes a Time and a few others. I love it when he sings. Yeah, yeah. So it was a Terrapin into the other one, Drums, Space, Warfrat. Wow. You know, and, and here's the thing about it that, that's, that's so great is, you know, the way you just read it off could have been a standard set list from any dead show that you or I ever saw. And, you know, I, I although I, I appreciate when they... Um, you know, move songs around in a t traditional second set song lights up at the first set or vice versa. Um, there's something, something different, at least for me, that, that's very uh, comforting and satisfying when they get in a groove in the second set and you can kind of flash back to the dead and say, I know where they're about to go with this and, you know, and kind of follow along with it. And uh, I mean, you know, that, that's a, that's a great post uh, drums and space uh, run to, to close out the show and everything. And, uh, then, boy, you get a Ripple Encore, and you can't really ask for much more than that, can you? Yeah, beautiful Ripple Encore. And uh, to fin it went uh, China Doll and then U.S. Blues to finish the set. Wow. Very, very nice. Um, yeah, again, all great tunes. Yeah, the U.S. Blues was just right there. Just everybody was standing up and getting into it. So good old California crowd. Got to get used to the... Uh, 
$16.50 for a cocktail. Well, that's, you know, that's what you're going to run into out there, I suppose. Right. Everything, everything's a little more expensive in Los Angeles, it seems. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, but it's just great to hear them, uh, you know, playing so well and really at the top of their game. And, you know, what, I, what I've, kind of, I've, been, I've been debating this whole Jerry versus uh, uh, John Mayer thing for a long time in my head. And, you know, I think where I'm finally starting to come out with it is that, yeah, he's not Jerry, but uh, he's really taken uh, good control of Jerry's songs. Uh, if there's anybody who's going to get up there and do it, uh, it might as well be him. Um, you know, he, he's really uh, he's, he's delved into the background of it all, so he, he, he's bringing it with as much uh, preparation and energy as anybody out there. But it's just the sound is so great. You know, you're, well, I'm going to go hear the, the Dead and Company, but it's the sound. You're gonna, he's nailing it. Like you said, he's, he's coming in. And, and what I really like about it is he's starting to learn those, you know, Jerry lines that used to always bring strong crowd responses, like you know, thousand verses and a hundred verses in ragtime or whatever some of the other ones are. Uh, Wish I was a headlight on a northbound train, right where everybody in the audience is waiting for that buildup. And you know, sometimes when the guys step in to play the Jerry role, they're not always as familiar with that. But John's really got that down too. So once again, you know, you kind of have that feeling of like really being at a dead show. Um, and you know, maybe it's a little bit like uh, you know this new Burger King. Uh, plant-based hamburger, right, where everybody bites it and says, what? Not hamburger, but boy, it tastes just as good. And, uh, you know, I think I'm at a point where I'm willing to say he's not Jerry, but what the heck, he's just as good. And boy, if you can go out there and see shows like that, it's good for the soul. Yeah, and, you know, just very strong on, on his guitar and his lyrics. I mean, he's he's really going to go down as one of the great ones, certainly but one of the great ones, really. Just uh, the way he's handling these songs, like I said, the the ramble on rose i encourage everyone to go listen to that and, and tell me if you don't think that he's really come into his own as as heading having to be a great one if he's not already so um yeah we do it again tonight looking forward to it and uh got my 20s lined up for my 16 dollar and 50 cent cocktails <laughs> right you've got to be ready to roll with those so here so let me ask you a question about uh I probably know the answer, but since it's relevant for our show, uh, what is the uh, scene like out there in the uh, fabulous form? Do they allow smoking? Do there, is everybody lighten up when the lights go out like a, a typical dead show? No. Nope. Um, might have been a little bit of pot smoking, but um, no cigarettes at all. It's a, like I said, the venue was just absolutely pristine and beautiful, and uh, everybody respected the no cigarette smoking. You know, the vape pens today, nobody really has to smoke cannabis inside. Um, good shakedown street outside, really good shakedown. Pretty good crazy scene out there. Had a lot of fun walking around and checking it all out. And they let us pretty much do what we wanted to in the parking lot. And security wasn't too bad getting in, just sort of breezed in. They uh, they did question my day pen and I said, oh no, it's tobacco. And they let it in. But you know, it, same thing for me when I'm, I'm like, you go to some of these venues, and it, it always surprises me where they will and where they won't let you smoke. You know, in uh, Chicago, a few years ago, I went to the Riviera Nightclub, which is on the north side of the city, and it's become a very you know famous nightclub. Uh, you get a lot of good bands that like to come in there, and it's a really small, tight venue. I've seen some Phil shows in there that were just unbelievable. And we were in there for a Phil show, and we were sitting up in the balcony, and we lit up a joint. Some guy came and tapped me on the shoulder and said, you know, Chicago has a no-smoking ordinance. You're going to have to put that out. Said, okay, so we put it out. And this is, you know, I mean, 
it's a nice venue, but it's, you know, not the nicest venue in town. It's a little bit run down. A month later, we're down at the um, uh, the Auditorium Theater, which is in the heart of the Chicago Theater District. It's a beautiful old venue. It's a it's a real you know prize. They have Broadway shows there. They have big events there. They have the fancy ceilings and the carpets and the velvet seats and the you know everything. And we go to a show there, and I figure if there's going to be no smoking anywhere, it's going to be there. Lights go off and everybody in the place lights up. So. I've kind of come to the conclusion that uh, most places have decided, look, if we're going to have the you know the dead and their crowd in, this is what's going to happen. And if we fight them on it, then it's just going to make the experience unpleasant for everyone because I get the vaping and I get the anonymity that goes along with it and all of that. But quite frankly, for me, uh, the, the way I always learned to get uh, myself through drums and space was to have a good joint ready. Yeah, yeah, and drums and space was fabulous last night too, Mickey. Uh... Mickey tore it up for 15 or 20 minutes and enjoyed the, you know, that's kind of a hard part of the show for the people who are not used to Grateful Dead and maybe are not as high or whatever. It's like, wow, what is this drums in space and how long does it go on for? Well, you know, the people who are into it are just digging every note and going right along with Mickey and Billy during drums and coming out into space. But, because uh, you know, we had people with us who are kind of newbies to Grateful Dead and they kind of yawning during drums in space, which I really like that part of the show myself. I like the drums. Space, I'm not so crazy about, but I really love the drums. Well, I'll tell you this. I love the drums because it's it's basic, it's primal, it's... And where else? I mean, look, here's the truth of the matter, and I know we've had this conversation before, but, you know, as far as drummers go in a rock and roll band, not that there aren't better drummers than others, but I would say that if you have to swap out one person... You're probably going to get the least disruption if it's the drummer, right? In terms of the crowd and the audience and and all of that. So you say, well, we have uh, Bill Kreutzmann and Mickey Hart are still drumming with the Dead, and some people say, yeah, but they're just the drummers. Boy, when you get into drums, that's why it's special that it's it's the two of them because you could put anybody back there with a bunch of drums and they can just bang on them for 20 minutes. But you know, these guys have that language where they go back there and they speak to each other and they it, it's it's it's. It's, you know, I, I try to tell people it's not a drum solo, it's a drum musical performance where there, there's, it's, and, and if you've ever sat through a drums in the correct state of mind, uh, then I think you'll really know what I'm talking about, um, that it's, it's just amazing to hear the sounds that they produce. They're making noises up there that you can't possibly think could come from percussion instruments, and yet there they are, and it gives them a chance to showcase their talents and everything. And I and I love that. And then as far as space goes, I agree. Space can get a little dry sometimes, and uh, you know you can only listen to the wah wah wahs so many times. But for us, the, the the beauty of space was the minute you know Jerry and the boys would come back on and start noodling around. That's when the guessing begins, right? What, what are they noodling? What have I picked up? What have I heard? Where are they going with this? What are they going to jump into? And it you know it, it kind of becomes like a challenge to figure out from their uh, from their space meanderings what they're going to wind up with. Right, and you know, last night they rolled out of space into um, Warfret, so that was pretty Which cool. It's a great tune. It's a great tune to come out of. So that's also very nice. But yeah, back to the drummers. You know, they would put Nikki and Billy up on the big screen, and just absolute synchronicity. Oh yeah. And as I explained to my newbies, that uh, you know, Mickey has collected drums and various percussion instruments from all over the world. So what you're seeing is a display of all these fabulous drums that he's collected over the years 
I don't know if you remember a number of years ago, probably 20 years ago now, he was doing a thing called Planet Drum. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I saw it at um, Mackey Auditorium over at CU in Boulder. And uh, you came out and the stage was literally 100% covered with drums. And he had, he'd bring out drummers from all over the world, six, eight, ten drummers on stage. And it was amazing performance. And uh, yeah, last night, O'Teal joined them for drums. Until Burbage, the bass player. Yep, and that I'll tell you one of my favorite drums of all time is, and, and now that that have released it, so you can you can go out and you can buy it. But the uh, the shows that they did in Egypt, and uh, they had this 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 drums that like goes on forever, and it kind of turns into this like Egyptian type of tune, and it's it, it was it was like unlike anything I've ever heard before. Now, so the pyramid shows from 1978. And the Dead, uh, they've released um, uh, a disc or two from the, you know, the highlights of those shows. And that's another really good drums if you want to see something that's a little out of the ordinary for them uh, when they're doing the drum solo. But, uh, yeah, I mean, these guys, this, this is, you know, this is what they do. Mickey's, you know, probably the foremost expert in the world on percussion instruments and, and the history of percussion instruments and all of that. And I, and, and I don't know about you, but while I always loved drums, what I really miss is remember for a while there in the 80s, they had the circle of drums right over their heads and they'd stand up and they'd have that whole circle around and they'd be banging on it and everything. And I just thought that was the coolest setup I had ever seen. They, they still have it. it was, they had it last night. They just get up there with all those toys and they just start banging on them. So it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Hey, uh, you and I can sit here and talk about this all day and we do, but just to make sure that we don't forget about the other side of our show, um, one thing I know that you and I had been uh, talking about, and I just saw another news article on this, is uh, in the industry, with everybody obviously still facing the same type of banking problems, uh, there's a number of companies that have kind of popped up and uh, you know consider themselves as uh, a provider of debit merchant services to marijuana retail stores. So uh, right people can come in and uh, with one of these cards, and then they make a purchase in the dispensary, and then the, 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 the company is supposed to pay the dispensary back. And one of those companies out there, Lynx Card, apparently has found itself in some hot uh, water now, uh, and apparently owes upwards of you know much more than uh, two or three million dollars to a variety of uh, retail dispensaries around the country. And um, you know it, it's, it's very disillusioning and upsetting because I mean, obviously, you never want to see that happen to anybody. But in this industry where people are so desperately trying to find workarounds to uh, accommodate their purchasers who come in and may not be walking around with two to $300 in cash in their pocket, this sets everything back a few steps, right? Because they say, we had a bad experience. We're not going down that road. We're just back to cash. Well, yes, that's very, very true. You know, we've had clients who have uh, had fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 tied up for months and sometimes they actually never get it back, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars. Um, yeah, I've recommended that my clients not not uh, go down the credit card route. Uh, you know, these companies that set themselves up, they're a go-between. They go between the the bank and the credit card processor on one side, and the dispensary at the other level, and everything goes along just fine for a while, and then eventually. MasterCard Visa's compliance department or the, the bank that they're utilizing for the transactions in their internal control department figure out what's going on and they shut it down. It's really like a game of musical chairs and your last few dozen transactions could get caught up in the shutdown and you may never see that money again. 
you know, we've definitely recommended to our clients not to go down the credit card route. Now, having said that, you know, we've had clients who have, you know, set up a separate company for MasterCard Visa, and they have not had any trouble for years and years. So it's, you know, seems to be like an all or nothing kind of deal. Either it works or eventually it doesn't work, and then you're wondering if you're going to get that money. So I'm not surprised to hear that. Well, and that's interesting you say that because, you know, part of it, I guess, is it also you have to be careful who you play with, right? Visa, MasterCard, if there's a way to work them in. Uh, obviously, you know, these are companies that have a long history and, uh, you know, one that you would feel very comfortable with. And I think the bigger problem is, you know, trying to evaluate um, the uh, uh, financial status of a number of these newer companies that are just, you know, popping onto the scene all of a sudden and really want to step in. And I would agree with you. Uh, I think it's it's very difficult to go down that road given the current uh, structure of things and what your legal remedies are in case you ever have to pursue those legal remedies. Um, you know, cash is uh, obviously solves a lot of problems for people except on the back end when you got to figure out what to do with it. And, you know, once again, we just sit here and say, boy, if we could just get our friends in the Senate, um, you know, to uh, start moving around with some of the stuff that's there and, and, and take a look at this bill and see what they can do, the Safe Banking Act, um, that would be wonderful. That would be a great thing. And, uh, you know, it would be a real benefit for everybody in the country to be able to have that kind of service. It'd be great for the industry. And, uh, you know, as you and I have talked about before, Jim, uh, on many fronts, uh, cannabis seems to be the one unifying force that brings all of these people of uh, different backgrounds and political persuasions together. And, uh, boy, if we could find a way to uh, get something like that passed and really get things going in this country, I think that would just be wonderful. Well, we'll see what happens, but as of right now, MasterCard and Visa are not on board. So my opinion is, and again, it's just an opinion. I don't, I'm not an expert on banking, but whenever there is a credit card company in a dispensary, there's some level of deception going on that they're mislabeling what they're doing, that they're not being upfront with MasterCard and Visa merchant services as far as what type of a business they, they are. So um, I visited a nice dispensary here in uh, Glendale, Colorado, and uh, and we made a few purchases, and I asked the lady if she took MasterCard and Visa just as a kind of a research, and she goes, no, not anymore. We used to. So, uh, you know, I I expected it and had cash to pay. I think, did I mention in a prior show that the the tax at the cash register in California is 35%? You did, and I'm glad you said that. Because um, the other thing that I just saw recently was that apparently um, an independent California state agency uh, wants to put together a report on the current status of the financial situation uh, in California. And the goal will be to assess how California's marijuana tax can uh, you know, be used to undercut the illegal market, right? So in other words, I think that people are seeing this as a problem and go for it. Like they've talked away with doing away with uh, weight-based cultivation tax or replacing the state's 15% excise tax with one based on a tiered percentage of products or things like that. And um, that's great news, right? The, the, the state leaders, they see a problem, and instead of just sitting there and saying, too bad, we've got money to collect, uh, you know, they're, they're stepping forward and they're actually doing something about it. And you know, I know you and I have talked before about the impact that, uh, you know, the California market has on the rest of the industry. And by God, if they could figure out a way to really make that uh, adult use program successful and, and rein in the black market in California, 
uh, you know, they might really have things going in the right direction. I had a fellow in San Francisco a few weeks ago explain to me that, um, because as I was saying that, that we haven't done as much business in California just because so much of it is still on the black market. He goes, yeah, that's true, he said, but, you know, California is a $10 billion, $10 billion cannabis market. And yeah, right now, six billion of that is probably black market, and three billion of that changes is probably white market. But he says over the next five years, that's going to change. In five years from now, we're going to have six billion in the white market and only three billion in the black market. And I thought about that at, as a takeaway, and I said, you know, that's a tremendous business opportunity to be part of a shift of, you know, nine billion dollars. Uh, a shift away from the black market. A lot of opportunities for, you know, legitimate businesses like mine and yours that service the cannabis industry. So, and I, I think that his comment was right. I think, you know, back when prohibition ended in the 1930s, there was a lot of stills out in the woods and people made their own. And, you know, today we all go to the liquor store. And I think that's just a transition that'll happen over the next few years. Well, I hope you're right. And, uh, you know, it would certainly be uh, nice to see. I think that's still, you know, Besides these other, uh, you know, issues with like banking and tax, the, you know, the, the ever-present presence of a black market is, you know, something that the industry is kind of grappling with, and you know, it would be nice if we could, uh, you know, demonstrate to a lot of these communities that are on the fence about what they do or don't want to do, that by you know welcoming legal marijuana into their community, uh, they will actually be helping to fight the black market, and, and you know, in that respect, you know, really cleaning up the industry and turning it into something where you don't have to worry about your kids walking down the street and have somebody on a street corner a block away from the school selling them joints. That's right. That's right. So, well, I'm looking forward to the show tonight, and uh, looking forward to a nice New Year's holiday. Uh, I'll be back in Colorado in a, about five or six more days. Here, get to enjoy beautiful southern california for a few more days fantastic i hope you have a great time out there we're following the shows uh, very excited to uh hear about the fish run at madison square garden i've got my son and his crew out there so i'll be getting reports you know it's kind of nice sitting right here in the middle of the country hearing about fish on the east coast the dead on the west coast uh it's pretty good other than actually being at the shows sorry everybody uh jim marty and larry mishkin here from the deadhead cannabis show uh, wishing all of you a very happy new year, and we'll talk to you in 2020. Very good, Jim. Have a great time at the show. I look forward to hearing about it. Thanks, everyone. listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey everyone, it's Ryan from the Cannabis Connoisseur Podcast. If you're looking for ways to utilize cannabis to keep you healthy, strong, and sharp, come join us every Wednesday where we dive into the best ways to use cannabis to optimize your life. Topics include cannabis and athletics, cannabis for productivity, cannabis for anxiety, cannabis for a healthy immune system, and so much more. If you're a curious connoisseur, this show is for you. So please head over to our page and we're looking forward to seeing you this week. Bye.